All right. Well, I'm sure you're all going to be very surprised about our scripture reading this morning. Uh, it's from Matthew chapter 28, and it starts with verse number 1. And here's what it says. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. No. He has risen. Uh, Come and see the place uh, where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Meanwhile, the women were on their way. uh, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Uh, Well, it's it's Resurrection Sunday. And uh, I feel like as a as a pastor, there's always this sort of pressure uh, that comes on Easter, uh, and I think that pressure gets uh, even greater with every single Easter you celebrate as a, as a pastor, uh, because uh, this, this is now my, oh man, uh, 13th, this is now my 13th Easter uh, as the pastor of a church, and, and you know, normally, what people are expecting is like a fresh take on the word, right? And it's got to be something exciting and new, something that, that tells them something maybe they didn't learn, know before or uh, gives them a different perspective. And the struggle with Easter is there's only one story you can tell on this Sunday. And there's only so many perspectives in the Gospels that you can give on Easter Sunday. And, and as I thought about that over these last couple of weeks and I got ready for this morning, uh, What really hit me uh, was that we spend so much time trying to like jazz up the gospel and and make it exciting and relevant and and something that people want to hear. And then you read this story and you think, what can I possibly even add that would make it more interesting than it already is? Right? You you have you have the the son the son of God, right? God Himself who comes down to become a man, to live a life like we have lived, to experience our struggles and our troubles and our temptations and the good things too, right? We, we talk a lot about Jesus resonating with, with the hard stuff in our lives, that, that Jesus understands our temptations and he's been through the things we've been through. But a lot of times we don't focus on the other side, which is he got to experience the good stuff too, right? He got to experience uh, having a meal with his closest friends in the whole wide world. 
He got to experience uh, attending a wedding for somebody that, that his family knows. He got to do the good stuff. He got to worship. He got to live. It wasn't just that he experienced our temptation. He experienced uh, the good of what it means to be alive. And then, and then he gets to the end and, and he's ticked off enough people with the way that he's lived his life. This life that has been lived with abundant love. Love beyond measure. Love that none of us could hope to even fathom to accomplish. And still that has made people mad. And so he's, he's crucified. He's crucified. And, and they put him in this tomb. And, and then today we celebrate that he didn't just stay in the tomb. He didn't just go into the tomb. He came out of it all on his own. And I, the, in the reading today, what, what really strikes me uh, is these, it says a violent earthquake and then an angel came down from heaven and rolls back the, the stone and he's this scary guy and the guards are terrified. They're like running for their lives. But these women, they're not terrified. These women, uh, Mary and the other Mary, uh, we talked about this morning at our sunrise service a little bit about uh, this. I don't know if I'd ever want to be called the other Chad, right? Uh, it's, it's like, it's so impersonal. And it's like, we don't know that one. Mary Magdalene, we got her, we're good. But then there was this other Mary too. Uh, and so we have Mary and the other Mary. And, and these two women uh, know Jesus well. Mary Magdalene's background is, is, is one of, of, I would call it tragedy. <laughs> she has all sorts of, of issues that have gone on in her life. And, and Jesus, when he came along and he met her in the midst of those struggles and those troubles, he completely turns her life around. And she has so much to be thankful for. She follows him. I mean, think about it. In these moments, where are the disciples? Right? Where are the disciples on Sunday morning? When, when, Jesus, when Jesus has said, hey, I'm going to die and in three days I'm going to be raised again. He has said this. Where are his disciples at? They're not here. Instead, you have Mary and Mary. Two people who were just so thankful to have had this, this encounter with the living God. That's who we find at the tomb. That's who we find seeking after Jesus. It wasn't the guards in the story. The guards had, had made a life for themselves. They, they had done everything you could want to do, I'm sure. They were Roman. They had the run of the place. <laughs> but it wasn't them. In fact, they run in fear. They were so afraid they shook and they fainted. But these two women who just wanted to be with Jesus, they just wanted to see Jesus again. They come to the tomb and he's gone. And the angel tells him he's not here. He has risen. And I, I love, uh, it's like the ultimate I told you so moment, right? Because the angels, they phrase it nicer here. And it says, uh, he has risen just as he said. <laughs> it happened exactly like he told you it would. I'm not sure why you're surprised. Now, to be fair, uh, all of us would be surprised if we buried someone and we came back three days later and they're not there. All right. We're going to be a little surprised by that. But in this story, man, Mary and Mary, it says they hurried away from the tomb and they use this phrase that I, I have found as the more I process it, the more I think, man, if that doesn't describe my life with Jesus, uh, it says that they are afraid yet filled with joy. 
afraid yet filled with joy. Uh, I find that being a follower of Jesus and, and believing in these things, believing that a man could be raised from the dead, is both uh, afraid and joyful. It's a, it's, a, it's a mix, right? Afraid because I'm never quite sure what he's going to do next, right? Because he did this and he does all this other stuff in my life and I think, what in the world's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or next week? And it happens to me all the time that I am surprised by what God has done. So there's a little bit of fear in that. And yet it says he, they were filled with joy. <laughs> they were happy. They were excited. Because even the things that make us a little bit afraid are typically the things that are also the greatest adventure. When my pastor first invited me to, uh, to go with him to Africa uh, 10 years ago, uh, it was mostly the afraid side of me that said, absolutely not. He says, hey, you want to go with me? Uh, no, I do not. <laughs> no, I do not. Uh, you're leaving a month after I get married, and I'd prefer for my marriage to last longer than one month. <laughs> and then I prayed. Out of that fear, I prayed, and, and God told me, you need to go. And so, so I went, and there was this fear because most times when, you, when people talk about going international, it's always the scary stuff, right? We talk about the missionaries who went to some remote island they weren't supposed to go to and they end up dead, right? That's the stories we hear, and those are the stories that implant in our minds. And then we can look back, like I can now, 10 years later, having gone, having gone to Africa all but in 2020 and 2021, uh, when COVID wouldn't allow us to go, I look back and I think, man, why was I ever afraid, <laughs> A lot of the joy in my life right now, a lot of the joy that comes is from the relationship I have with God because of those moments that I spent in Africa. And so there's this mix of fear and joy all at the same time. And I have to think that this is what the disciples felt when Mary and Mary come running into the room, when they meet the boys and they say, guess what? Guess what? Now the guards, they didn't get the joy side. The guards just got the fear side because the guards weren't looking for Jesus. They were looking out for themselves. I'm amazed in this story. They, they must have been paid a king's ransom to keep their mouths shut. Because imagine your only job is to guard the tomb of a dead guy and you have failed. You have to go back to your significant, your, your, uh, your commanding officer and tell them, hey, that, that dead body I was supposed to guard, it's not there. And not only that, they're the ones telling, hey, we will just give you some money, some hush money to not say anything. And then we'll give you our promise, our word, that if anybody higher up, like the governor, uh, if the governor has any issues, we'll cover for you. Right? There is a whole lot of trust or a whole lot of money being exchanged for these guards to make this deal. Because you have to think that their lives were probably in peril for failing at this task. I mean, if you think about it, uh, if, if you think about it, if you're a soldier of all the possible tasks you could be given, this is probably the easiest one. Make sure the dead guy doesn't leave. And yet they failed, right? They failed. And so you have, you have Mary and Mary, and you have 
you have these guards. And, and the guards have only the fear. Mary and Mary, they get the fear plus the joy. And all because one guy was resurrected from the dead. Because one guy, death could not keep down. <laughs> See, death had been this, this long, long thing. If you, if you, right, what's the, the phrase that we always use? There's only two certainties in life, death and taxes, right? It's, it, that's even funnier to me because in here, Jesus tells people to pay taxes too. So it's, it's right there. Uh, death and taxes, all right? So, so it's been a certainty since, since Adam and Eve, since the very first couple, death has been a certainty. But it's always been a certainty because sin has always been present. And maybe, maybe always, that word always is used a little loosely because there was a moment, there was a time when death did not reign. There was a time before Adam and Eve decided to make the decisions they made and we were doomed for all of eternity. I, I love, uh, I love, I, I'm, I'm a huge internet person. I, I grew up in that. So uh, I'm big on memes. And I think at this point, I've had some teenagers tell me that makes me old. Uh, that's okay. I'm okay with that. Uh, but I love the, the memes where, uh, where Adam, it shows Adam in heaven. And it's just, he says, everybody Adam meets, the, your first day in heaven, you get to meet Adam. And it's him shaking your, shaking your hand saying, my bad. <laughs> I love it because it's so, it's so descriptive of what we believe. We believe that sin and death has been around since then. Right? And so when Jesus comes along and he puts an end to it, this is huge. This is huge. And it's why in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul is, is writing out the basics and he says, this is, this is what faith is about. This is what following Jesus is about. He says, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. And he says, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to the, all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. He says, we know this to be true, right? When Paul writes this, he lives in a time when people could have refuted it. He says, go ask them. They'll tell you what they saw. But he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. All right, and that's a statement. That's a statement. And that statement is where the joy from Mary and Mary comes from. Our entire faith to be a Christian is based on this day. Because if Jesus goes to the cross on Friday and he dies, and we say, great, he died for the sins of the world, but then he doesn't come back. Well, guess what? First of all, that makes him a liar because he said he would. And then we have to question, well, what else did he say that he's lying about? But the other piece of it is if he, if he dies for the sin on Friday and then he doesn't raise, guess what? He didn't conquer death. He, did, he, he couldn't conquer the consequence of sin because death comes about as a consequence of sin. And so for Paul, he says, if, if Christ has not been raised, everything you do is useless. Your faith is pointless. 
And it's, it's, it's mind-boggling to me. I've heard, uh, especially in the last few years, some more drummings of, of Christians who say, well, Jesus was a great teacher, and I want to follow in his ways, and that, but I don't believe in the resurrection. That's crazy. Look, without the resurrection, Jesus is crazy. Without the resurrection, Jesus doesn't make sense because the things he taught wouldn't fit without the resurrection. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep are lost. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. All that we believe, all that we are, all that we're able to do as Christians, the whole thing that powers what we do and believe in our lives as followers of Jesus comes from the resurrection. It's the the resurrection is the proof, the proof that what he says is true, that he has the power he says he has, that he can do the things that he's promised he can do. It all comes from the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no faith. There is no Christianity. It's hollow. C.S. Lewis, who wrote a lot on, on faith, uh, in his book, Miracles, he says this. He says, The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He's the first fruit, the pioneer of life. He forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in history has been opened. This is why Resurrection Sunday is so big. Because it's this Sunday that changed everything. It's this Sunday that like, if you can't, if you can't figure out this piece, right? If you can't believe in this piece, there's no point for the rest of it. Because it all leads to this. And so maybe, maybe you've been, maybe you've been investigating Jesus for a while. And I would say that in my experience, a lot of people in a lot of churches fall into that category. We, we say that we believe, we say that we're, that we're a Christian, that we like the ways of Jesus and the things he teaches are kind of good, right? But then it gets to these things like the resurrection and we go, I don't know if I can go that far yet. And we haven't taken the time to process and figure out where do I really stand with this? Because this is the piece that Paul says, you have to have this. This is it. So as you're celebrating today, as you celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, I want you to fully understand what it means. Because the resurrection is the basis for everything else. Everything else. If we can't get that, then none of the rest of it matters. So today, if you've been working with the teachings of Jesus and you're like, man, that sounds great, I'm just not sure. 
Or maybe, maybe you're saying, man, if that's it, I want to get that, right? I want to help you get there. I want to pray with you and, and show you that Jesus is alive. Because the greatest thing about this whole story and this resurrection is he doesn't die again. <laughs> He's alive right now. He's alive today, this morning. He is alive. Because he said he came not just to bring new life, but to bring eternal life or everlasting life. And he's the first who gets to experience it. And so he's alive today with us. And I want you to meet him. Because <laughs> he meets me again and again every day, and it, it changes my life. Every day something new happens. Every day I have an encounter with the Lord that makes me think, how could he possibly get better? And then the next day he does something else. And I think, how could he possibly get better now? And then the next day it's another thing. And you, you guys see how this is going. I want you guys to know Jesus that way. I want you to know Jesus in a way that is personal, that is alive. Not just a guy who's written about on some pages in a book that's thousands of years old. I want you to know him as the living God. The God who lives and walks among us today. The God who leads us and guides us, who gives us his spirit to help us, to convict us, to move us forward. I want you to know him. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. We're going to sing one more time. And while we're singing, if, if you want to know that God, I want to pray with you. And I'll wait right up front. Maybe you already know him. That's fine. I'll celebrate with you today because we're celebrating. But if you don't, I want you to know him today. Let me pray. Lord, there's so much power and authority in your words and in your actions. And especially today as we celebrate your resurrection, God, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And yet it's there and we know what happened. And so God, this morning, I thank you. I thank you for the gift of resurrection, for the promise of eternal life, for the new life that you stir up in me every single day. I'm thankful. And so, Lord, I pray that, that as we go into this next song and as we seek you out, God, I pray that you would be so present with every single person here, that we would each leave this place knowing that we have encountered the living God. Not a God who is, who is dead and laying in some grave somewhere. Or a God who's so far away that we can't possibly be in relationship with him. But that you are a living God who is present with us in these moments. And God, for those who have been seeking or searching or unsure or even resistant, God, I pray that you would work in their hearts this morning. To know the truth. That the truth would set them free. So show up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.